I want you to hit me as hard as you can. He conquered the cinematic worlds of westerns, baseball, and water. Kevin Costner is an Oscar-winning director, Emmy-winning actor, and country-singing superstar who has charmed the gills off of audiences for decades. The dude can do it all. He was even involved in a nasty real-life legal drama involving oil spill technology and Stephen Baldwin, of all people. I used to have a co-worker who would sit right next to me, and every time she would discuss the topic of sexy men, which she did a lot for some reason, she would always respond the same way. Mm-hmm, he good, but he no Kevin Costner. Yep, she would say that every single time. And every time she would say that, I would think one simple thought. What the f happened to him? He used to be the most powerful person in Holly Weird, but now it seems like cinemas are showing less of that Costner face. But did Kevin really go anywhere? Or did he take his wolves and dance someplace else? Only me and my trusted team of researchers, researcher, his name is Brad, only we have what it takes to get to the bottom of this mystery and find out what the f happened to Kevin Costner. You used to be fun! Kevin Costner used to be a movie star. Get over it. But to truly understand what the f happened to Kevin Costner, we must start at the beginning. In 1983, Costner was cast in the film The Big Chill, which he thought was going to be his big break. The whole story centers around his character, so of course he was going to get that sweet, sweet screen time, right? Wrong. No, quite the opposite. All of his scenes were cut. You see, his character commits suicide, thus prompting the weekend reunion this film centers around. So the whole point of the film is that Kevin Costner is not there. Now, of course, for cinematic artsy-fartsy reasons, cutting Kevin Costner was the right choice to make. By never showing this beloved buddy, the audience now has a, a pure existence of him in their imagination. Sometimes less is more when it comes to movies. Actually, every time less is more when it comes to movies. But it does suck for Costner that he was chopped out of the big chill. But director Lawrence Kasdan loved Kevin Costner's work so much that he vowed to cast him in a future project. And Lawrence Kasdan is a man of his word. In 1985, Costner starred in the film Fandango. A film not about buying movie tickets online, rather a heartwarming coming-of-age story about five college friends who embark on a road trip across the Mexican border before going their separate ways in the summer of 1971 AD. And surprise, surprise, Kevin wasn't cut from this film. And he gives a fine performance if I do say so myself, and myself does say so. Fandango also happens to be the first feature-length film directed by Kevin Reynolds. Kevin Costner and Kevin Reynolds. I call them the two Kevins. They would go on to collaborate on Robin Hood, Hatfields and McCoys, and Waterworld. But more on that later. That same year, 1985, came the Western Silverado. This film was directed by director Lawrence Kasdan, and that man of honor kept his word and cast Kevin in this flick, which turned out to be Kevin's big break, as many reviews claimed that Costner's performance as Jake was the highlight of the film. 
And so began Kevin's long cinematic love affair with the genre we like to call the Western. Even Kevin himself in early September 2020 acknowledged that Silverado was a career-making project for him, humbly giving credit to the film's writers, saying that the way the character was written gave him plenty of room to really jump off the page. If you do not believe me, I will cite our reliable sources. This article appeared in the September 2020 issue of Cowboys and Indians magazine. <laughs> The success of Silverado landed Costner in the lead role in a movie called American Flyers, where Kevin biked right into our hearts. It wasn't until two years later in 1987 that Kevin would make the film that secured his status as a true blue movie star, playing Bureau of Prohibition agent Elliot Ness opposite Robert De Niro's Al Capone and Brian De Palma's Untouchables. A role that was originally intended for Don Johnson and then Mickey Rourke, but they turned it down because they don't know nothing. The Untouchables truly made Kevin untouchable, and that just made people want to touch him even more. But yeah, this is a great film. It's one of the best gangster flicks of, uh, of that era, the late 80s. Federal officer, you're under arrest for violations of the False Dead Act. That same year, 1987, Kevin got another starring role in the film No Way Out. The film grossed $35 million against a $15 million budget and was a massive hit with critics, getting 91% of those tomatoes that are rotten. He loved working with Gene Hackman, who I already made a WTF video about. Right here, see it? Check, 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 check it, check it out. Costner performed most of his own stunts in the film, which the insurance company did not like. No, they did not, one bit. Insurance companies don't like most things, actually. Most things that are fun. The insurance company even told the director of the film, Don't you ever, ever do that again. After Costner rolled over the hood of a moving car. <laughs> 1988-1989 saw Costner become the king of the baseball movie with the massively successful back-to-back -back home run hits Bull Durham and Field of Dreams, both going on to become classics. Two very good, very different baseball movies. Sports Illustrated magazine ranked Bull Durham as its number one sports movie of all time. Bull Durham grossed over 50 million on a $9 million budget, and 50 is a bigger number than nine, so that's good. Bull Durham's director cast Costner due to his natural athleticism. Costner played ball in high school, and he could hit home runs on demand while the cameras were rolling, and would continue to hit homers while the cameras weren't rolling. And he beat Kurt Russell, an actual minor league ball player for the part. Sorry, Kurt, but I guess there's no hard feelings there because the two would later join forces in that Elvis movie that I'll probably talk about later. But yeah, Bull Durham, it's one of the good ones. Then came the iconic film Field of Dreams. The producers originally didn't offer the lead role to Costner, thinking that he would not want to do another baseball film so soon after Bull Durham. So they offered the role to Tom Hanks, but then Costner read the script and fell in love with it. So they went with Kevin over Tom. And many consider this film to be one of the best ever made. Former President George W. Bush would agree. He says that this is his favorite film. So there's that. Hey, Dad? You wanna have a catch? Then came Revenge, a Tony Scott movie where he goes head to head with Anthony Quinn. 
According to the World Wide Web, this one is what they call a commercial and critical failure. Where is she? Revenge. Then, in 1990, came the biggie, Dances with Wolves. It's like Avatar, but the indigenous peoples are not blue. This was Costner's first swing at directing, and boy howdy was it quite the debut. This film won many Oscars and was selected for preservation in the National Film Registry by the Library of Congress. Huge honors. Huge. While making this film, the buzz around town was that it was going to be a colossal failure along the lines of Heaven's Gate. Some were even dubbing the film Kevin's Gate, a title that would be bestowed on one of Costner's future projects, Wyatt Earp. And Kevin made some moolah on this one. He walked away with nearly 40 million buckaroos and back-end revenues. Starring and directing in this humongous epic was a very difficult task to take on, especially for a first-time director, but Kevin was able to stay in the saddle or the director's chair, with only one exception. The other Kevin, Kevin Reynolds, stepped in to help direct the climactic buffalo chase scene. So that's very nice. Two Kevins sticking up for each other, helping each other, BFFs. For Evs. Costner won the Academy Award for Best Director. Kevin Costner beat Martin Scorsese. Again, I'm gonna say that again. Kevin Costner beat Martin Scorsese for Best Director. Dances with Wolves also won the Oscar for Best Picture. Again, Dances with Wolves beat Goodfellas for Best Picture in 1990. Both films are great, but, um, you know. I'm gonna let y'all fight over this one in the comments. Go ahead. <laughs> Kevin Costner was now Hollywood's it guy taking the lead role in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. A film that did very well financially and was highly praised by critics, except for one thing, and that one thing was Kevin Costner, uh, specifically his voice, his accent. He would go on to win, that's in quotes, win the prestigious Razzie Award for Worst Lead Actor. Congrats. Director Kevin Reynolds told Costner that his thick American accent would distract audiences. But Costner fought hard to keep his very modern, very American accent in the film. And Reynolds was right. I'm pretty sure the real Robin Hood did not sound anything like Kevin Costner. And I'm pretty sure the real Robin Hood is a fox. So there's that. Don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of this movie and I'm a big fan of Kevin Costner's voice. But using it in this one is probably one of the worst acting decisions of all time. But it was the second highest grossing film of that year, 1991, so money, yay! And then came one of the most controversial films of all time, Oliver Stone's JFK. Many claim that this film is full of inaccuracies, but Oliver Stone says it isn't. And Oliver Stone is always right, so there. The final epic courtroom monologue given by Costner was done in a single take. And the film was nominated for several Academy Awards, including Best Picture and Best Director. It's just a wild time at the movies. The editing to this thing, it'll, it'll, it'll give you acid flashbacks, even if you haven't done acid. Oh my goodness, it's a, it's, it's a trip. But that's exactly what it needed to be. JFK is one of those works of art, that's in quotes, that almost surpass cinema itself. It's like it's more than a movie, if you know what I mean. So, have you seen JFK, the movie? What'd you think? No, no, what'd you really think? Comment your comment in the comments. <laughs> Come
Costner's next film was The Bodyguard, a film originally intended for Steve McQueen, so Kevin based his performance on Mr. Steve, and even cut his hair like him. Costner had to fight hard to get Whitney Houston cast in the film because, you know, she'd never acted before. And despite the positive reputation that this movie currently has, it was a critical failure. Many of those movie critics said that the two leads lacked any sort of chemistry. And they went on to be nominated for several of those infamous Razzie Awards. Worst movie, worst actor, worst actress. But it was the second highest grossing film of that year, 1992. So yay, money! And I think the song in this movie, you know the song, I think it's more popular than the movie itself. But that's okay. It will still go down in movie history as a classic. To some people. To most people. And Kevin even spoke at Whitney's funeral. R.I.P. His next film was directed by Clint Eastwood, A Perfect World, where he would play a lovable escaped convict who kidnaps a kid and forms a deep friendship with him. Sounds nice. Costner stormed off the set after a disagreement with Clint, and Mr. Eastwood, not being a man who gives in to such diva behavior, continued shooting the scene with Costner's stand-in. Eastwood looked Kevin in the eyes and said, If you walk off, I'll shoot close-ups of your double. You watch. This guy will play the whole movie. I'm not here to jerk off. Thank you, Clint. You're welcome. After which Kevin never walked off the set again and they went on to make a really good movie. You know, because it's a Clint Eastwood movie. And it's actually one of Clint Eastwood's favorite films of his own. You ain't so friendly. Costner would re-team with Lawrence Kasdan for the western Wyatt Earp. This movie is a fine way to spend an hour and a half of your day, but unfortunately, it's three hours and 11 minutes long. It came out only six months after the movie Tombstone, Wyatt Earp and Tombstone. One of those is now considered one of the greatest westerns of all time, and the other is called Wyatt Earp. Can you imagine? It's 1994, and there's two movies, both about that gunfight and that OK Corral. It's one of those Deep Impact Armageddon, Dante's Peak Volcano things that happen all too often. Costner was actually originally attached to Tombstone, but he wanted the story to focus on Wyatt Earp instead of the amazing ensemble cast. So he left the project to produce his own Wyatt Earp movie and called it Wyatt Earp. Because Wyatt Earp. And you know, it's the 90s. At this time, Costner has a lot of clout in Hollywood, which made it difficult for Tombstone to get a secure distribution. Once again, taking on Kurt Russell, his future co-star in that Elvis movie that I swear I'll probably talk about eventually. But Kurt Russell's take on Wyatt Earp would get the last laugh. As Tombstone went on to gross over 56 million buckaroos, and Costner's Wyatt Earp movie made only 25 million. <laughs> My fellow Joe Blowers took a deeper dive into that Wyatt Earp fight on our sister show, What the Fuck Happened to This Movie, Tombstone. Check, 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 check it out after you watch this. Wyatt Earp made its way onto many of those year-end critics' worst lists. Roger Ebert even described Wyatt Earp as Tombstone pumped full of hot air. And of course, it was nominated for all those Razzies. Worst picture, worst director, worst on-string couple with Costner and all three of his wives. Then Costner would go on to star alongside young Frodo in The War, 
about a Vietnam vet using his Vietnam vet skills to teach his kids to stand up for themselves against bullies and stuff. The war. <laughs> then came Waterworld. Yay! <laughs> the movie that made global warming cool. It was actually one of my favorite films as a kid, but then I grew up and I watched it again and... And I don't care what anyone says, I still like this stupid mess of a movie, so... So shut your gills. This was infamously labeled one of the biggest failures ever in the world of water and land. I love this film's ambition. You know, it's it's a world, it's full of water. Ah, that yeah, it, it, sometimes it's... Sometimes it's hard to watch. But it's such a fun movie, but Kevin Costner doesn't seem to understand that. And like I said before, I love me some Waterworld and I love me some Costner, but he's gotta be the most boring fish in the sea. I mean, come on, give us something, Kevin, come on. You're a mutant. It's the apocalypse. Do something with it. At the time, this was the most expensive movie ever made at $172 million, but by today's blockbuster standards, that doesn't even rank in the top 40 most expensive movies ever made. But the bad reputation remains. And it was directed by the other Kevin, who apparently left the project halfway through, leaving Costner, the other, other Kevin, to finish it. Kevin Reynolds even went on to say this about Kevin Costner, saying that he should only star in the movies he directs. That way he can work with his favorite actor and favorite director. Oh! In the pantheon of Burns, I'd rank that one pretty high. And my fellow Joe Blowers have already taken a deep dive on this production on Troubled Water. In a wonderful episode of WTF Happened to This Movie. Check, 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 check it out. And actually, I believe that the live-action stunt show at Universal Studios is more respected than the film itself. So that's kind of funny. In between box office bombs, Waterworld and the Postman, Costner returned to sports with his Bull Durham director, Ron Shelton, in Tin Cup. A solid romantic comedy about a pro golfer trying to qualify for the U.S. Open. It's fun, my parents like it, and they golf. Oh! In 1997, Costner would return to the director's chair in The Postman. This is three hours long, ain't nobody got time for that. That's what I said. It was released on Christmas Day, 1997. Because nothing says Christmas cheer like the apocalypse. A boring apocalypse, too. It grossed $17 million on an $80 million budget, and 17 is a much smaller number than 80. The Postman won, that's in quotes, won several Razzies, including Worst Director, Worst Actor, and Worst Picture. In 1999, following The Postman, Costner would team up with Robin Wright, aka Robin Wright Penn, for Nicholas Sparks, aka Nicky Sparks, adaptation of Message in a Bottle. You know the ladies. That same year, Costner would return to the baseball diamond with For Love of the Game, a romantic comedy directed by Sam Raimi, of all people. I enjoyed the movie for what it was. It wasn't exactly a return to the greatness of Bull Durham or Field of Dreams, but it was a decent sports flick. And there's a strike! In the year 2000, Kevin Costner decided to take on JFK again. This time, the story was about the Cuban Missile Crisis, a film called 13 Days. It's a really great film, but once again, Kevin was criticized for his accent. This time, he was actually trying to do one. 
And if you've ever attempted to do a Boston accent and failed miserably, well, they have a name for that on the mean streets of Boston. They actually call it a Kevin Costner accent. Like, yo, you pulled a Kevin Costner. That's what they say in Boston. Go, go, go Boston sports team. And like I said, despite the horrible accent, the film was great. Kevin Costner even screened this film for Fidel Castro. And he was sitting there, mere feet away from the evil commie dictator as he watched it. That must have been one of the most interesting film screenings of all time. Ah, we finally gotten here. 3,000 miles to Graceland. Was it good? Was it bad? It was bad. Critically panned. Finally working with his arch nemesis, Kurt Russell. The good Wyatt Earp. The critics say it was bad, and you know those critics, they're never wrong, ever, ever, ever. <laughs> 3,000 miles to Graceland. Then, in 2003, came Kevin Costner's big return to both the Western genre and the director's chair in the film Open Range. Costner actually turned down the role of Bill in Kill Bill to do this movie, and him and Robert Duvall, will they make quite the team. Many people loved Kevin Costner's direction and acting in this one, he showed so much range in open range. The film has mostly positive reviews. I'm gonna quote that Roger Ebert again. He called it an imperfect, but beautifully made Western. You the one killed our friend? That's right. I shot the boy too and I enjoyed it. After open range, Kevin Costner went back to pumping out decent but forgettable films, one of them being The Upside of Anger, then a Jennifer Aniston movie, rumor has it about the family that's the true inspiration of The Graduate, directed by Rob Reiner, and The Guardian, an action film about Ashton Kutcher punking the U.S. Coast Guard. Then came Mr. Brooks, and many people really enjoyed this one. It was originally set up as a trilogy, but unfortunately, the poor box office canceled those sequels. And Kevin Costner says that the script for this movie is one of the best he's ever read. And he's read a lot. <laughs> then came Swing Vote, a movie about a man who is the lone vote that will decide the presidential election. Because that's how the system works. Then came The Company Men, and this is actually a really solid film about the economic crisis of 2008, made in 2010. And Kevin Costner took on a great supporting role, which is uh, probably the right choice right now in his career, and he excelled. It was amazing. He did great. You still have your tool belt? Yeah. Why don't you grab it? In between all that movie stardom Kevin Costner was doing, he found time to star in an acclaimed miniseries, Hatfields and McCoys. It's the true story about that famous feud, and Kevin Costner would go on to win a Golden Globe and an Emmy for his portrayal as Mr. Hatfield. And even after Kevin Reynolds and Costner had a major falling out in Waterworld, Reynolds would return to direct his buddy Kevin in this well-received miniseries. It's so good to see the Kevins back together again! Then came Man of Steel in 2013. Kevin Costner would take on the role as Superman's adoptive father, the, the Earthling one. And that's always a big task, and I think he did great. There are so many things to say about Man of Steel. So many positive and negative things. So many things to complain about, and uh, I think we've we've all had all those conversations before. But I will not complain about Kevin Costner's performance. I think he did great in this, except for his death scene. That's kind of stupid, but that's not his fault. He would then go on to have supporting roles in two critically and commercially successful films. In 2016, he would play the fictitious character Al Harrison in The Incredible Hidden Figures, 
And in 2017, he would play a real-life character, Larry Bloom, in Aaron Sorkin's directorial debut, Molly's Game. And there's a scene in there with Kevin Costner and Chastain on a bench. You can see two great actors working at the top of their game, Molly's Game. I'm your father, trying to comprehend how much I love you would be like trying to visualize the size of the universe. Then came The Art of Racing in the Rain. It was a crowd-pleasing flick about the art of racing in the rain, told through the point of view of a, of a dog. And that dog is voiced by Kevin himself. He's a good boy in this one. Yeah, he's a real good boy. He starred in two action films, Three Days to Kill and Criminal. And, uh, yo, word on the street is that these films suck maximum suckage. So first he conquered the world of baseball, and then he took a swing at golf, and now it was time for him to tackle football americano in the film Draft Day. A movie that many people love and watch on the actual NFL Draft Day. as like a celebration, like holiday tradition thing. Then he played a Caucasian person in the film Black or White. It's about a white grandfather fighting for the custody of his black granddaughter. And I hear it's good. And good movies are good. In 2015, Costner did the required Disney live-action movie, McFarlane USA, about a cross-country team. Apparently it's good, and good movies are good. Then came Highwaymen, a Netflix movie, and it's a pretty good uh, true-life story about the men who took down Bonnie and Clyde. And as movie watchers, we kind of got used to seeing this tale told through the eyes of the bank robbers, but this one flips it on you, and Costner and Woody make a great team. Later this year, he reteams with Martha in the film Let Him Go. The trailers for this movie actually look pretty intriguing, but you never know with Kevin. And that's kind of the problem with Kevin. We need to talk about Kevin. Don't start what you can't finish. So what the f*** happened to Kevin? Why isn't he dancing with those wolves on the big screen as much anymore? Well, you know, of course, your star, it can't shine on full blast forever. You gotta find a place to land that falling star so it crashes and thrives in a new environment. And for Kevin, his falling star landed in Yellowstone. Yellowstone marks Kevin Costner's first attempt at a television series. And I hear it's an excellent show. Kevin plays a patriarch to an almost mob-like family on the outskirts of Montana. Those dirty, dirty outskirts. Everyone who watches this series sings its praises, so I, I, I really want to watch it one day when I'm not busy making videos about Kevin Costner. I hear that Kevin Costner's character is a ruthless man, but you still have sympathy for him, and I like that. In the hands of a lesser actor, this character could have just been like, you know, a horrible, horrible man. But no, Kevin Costner brings heart to the role. You know, it's like, it's like Breaking Bad. Kevin Costner has truly found his place, and it's on the small screen, which nowadays is kind of more respected than the big screen, I'm just saying. Consider every option. I choose the one that's best for my family. Kevin Costner is a man who was raised from humble beginnings to become one of the biggest movie stars ever. He may be known for baseball films and westerns, but those genres only scratch the surface of what Kevin truly has to offer. And I think we're finally seeing that now in Yellowstone, from what I hear, because I haven't seen it. He has found new life on television, aka TV, where he continues to surprise us with the depth of his performance. From what I hear, he remains one of the best there is. So nobody should give a f about what the f happened to Kevin Costner, because he's doing fine.
And no matter how many apocalypses we must go through, Kevin Costner will still hold a place of honor in the hearts of everyone in the world. A world that's covered with over 70% of water, by the way. I'm just saying, maybe we are the water world. Or Postman. Both, both seem to fit perfectly, unfortunately. Oh, fuck.